and welcome our fellow lovers of love down this excursion through the stream of consciousness towards the river of ah oh, see now you're over there making me laugh and this is not fair <laughs> towards the river of tranquility and on towards the lake of love yay and, uh, see i've changed it and sometimes i forget what i've changed it to I really need to write that down and put it up on a screen. On the screen, I've got enough of them. Anyway, so good evening, everybody, and how's everybody doing? It's yet another week down. Uh, summer is in full swing. You know, some places kids are starting to head back to school. Life is kind of grinding on. Is kind of a good way to describe life these days, I suppose. It's grinding on, which brings me to um, a quote I happened to come across, I guess this afternoon. It's, the journey of a thousand miles begins in one step. And Lao Xiao, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And, but, of course, it's Chinese, and I can barely pronounce English, as we've all known. So if I screwed that up, I do apologize. But, it does the truth. Well, it's not an effort. Yes, it's a good quote. Every step, every journey begins with the very first step, the very first decision. You know, and sometimes your journeys don't always end up where you think they will, where you thought they would, because it's the journey. You know, what's the end of your journey? It's the end of your life. It's the end of your journey. No one knows how that's going to end. Your end's not written. It's not written yet. And so it's the journey that makes the end. It's not the end that makes the end. It's the journey that makes the end. No one sits there and talks about, you know, someone at the end of their life. Well, they died well. No, they talk about all the things they did in your life. Your life's journey. That's what people talk about. The impacts you made. The ripples you left. The people you helped. The people you loved. Well, you can hope. But if it goes the other way, you talk about, you know, you weren't necessarily a nice person. You know, it's, you talk about your journey. You know, most of us, the conversation isn't going to be, well, a satellite fell on his head. You know, that's not going to be the way most of us end our lives. The thing, the, the topic of discussion will be the journey of your life. And the nice thing about that is, you can restart the journey anytime you want. Just decide to. I'm restarting the journey today. Anyway, we'll bring in the Lobby Nader. So, Lobby, it's been a long week. I've been impatient this week, I will freely admit. Well, I haven't been able to tell. You've covered it well. I've been impatient. I'm still not feeling well. I mean, I'm feeling better. Don't get me, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. But I'm still kind of in recovery, and it's just a slow 
process. I'm tired of being tired type of thing. Well, you've been a little sarcastic that this week. That should have given me a heads up. So, yeah, I'm feeling a little frustrated. Just, you know, impatient, I suppose, maybe is the better But I think it's funny, so. It's just maybe impatience. Well, it's because I'm still doing. Not your impatience. I don't feel, I don't think it's funny that you're not doing well. I think it's uh, funny when you get sarcastic. Yeah, it's my coping mechanism can be humorous. I, I get it. Well, it is to me. I could see how it would be irritating. I hope <laughs> I never lose my rose-colored glasses because it could get irritating. See, that's the thing. It's, you know, you try not to be irritated, irritating to other it people. It never irritates me. I just cracks me up. Anyway, well, see, then we're lucky. See? Because, <laughs> yeah, I've been a little impatient this week. <sighs> try to be better. Well, you know, it takes a couple of days to notice. Ah, you know, I'm not quite being the person I want to be. And suddenly you have to work your way back. It is what it is. The first part is noticing. And then, okay, so what is going on? I'm impatient. I was impatient about, I thought I was initially impatient about getting test results back. And I was, but that wasn't really it. It was just kind of added on to the growing impatience. It's just this stupid recovery is taking so damn long. I want to move faster than my body wants me to. Yeah. 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 That's annoying. But every journey starts with the first step, you know? And this has been a long journey to getting, you know, back to somewhat healthy again, I guess. And well, you went so far down, honey. So, yeah, it's just... When you're getting older, it's harder to recover from these things now. I'm just saying I'm tired of the taking so long, but it is what it is. You don't always get to decide <laughs> some of these things. You know, there's parts of... We are just talking about you know, every journey begins with that. Yeah, you don't always get to decide which path it is. <laughs> you go on for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you, you yeah, get lost in the woods. You get lost in the woods, yeah. <laughs> so talking about the the long, um, winding road of the journey of life, our first article, we kind of have a theme going on here. The first one is about letting go of the stigma caused by bipolar disorder, of the shame. The shame. Yes. Now, you're the one who's gone through the bipolar disorder issue, so you can actually have a better... I hope you had a chance to get that. But even if not, you can just share your story, I think, would be... I did have a chance to look over the article. Thank you for preparing everything and sending it to me, my honey. i got to give props to you. Jim does it every week. He puts together this show. Uh, as far as the shame... Well, for me, it started with the shame of being different. I'm different. I'm not like everybody else. But then I learned, well, there's quite a few bipolar people out there, you know, and I'm in good company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then it, as you kind of realize that, Everybody's different. Feeling picked. Yeah, everybody's got something. Everybody's different, trying to prepare and pretend they're normal. And so we're all kind of, kind of trying to reach for this, this 
artificial normalcy that we've all kind of accidentally created because we're all trying to pretend we're this thing that nobody is. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bizarre. If you can actually pull yourself out of it and look at it, it's really quite bizarre because the number of people who are actually in the quote-unquote normal range isn't actually that big. If you look at it, 19% of the population has an anxiety disorder. That's a huge chunk of people who are Yeah, and I believe in here it said 2 million people have bipolar disorder. Yeah, so all these abnormal people, you add all the abnormal people up, and I pretty much to bet that the normal people are outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't know it because everybody's trying to pretend they're normal. And we're causing ourselves damage. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to run off on a tangent. That's there. okay. And there's something here for everybody, like my mother used to say, which got me through my why me phase. Why do I have to deal with this? Yeah. Feeling picked on. Thanks. Uh -oh. yeah. And I feel comfortable having that conversation with God. I have a very open relationship. Yeah, people don't like my take on God. I said, if, if you know, I'm not one who believes in God. I don't exclude the possibility that it exists, but he's got some explaining to do to me if we've got to be some truth to be talking about here. Well, yeah. <laughs> I have questions. No, no, no. I don't have questions. I want answers. <laughs> well, questions usually supersede answers. No, no, no. I want to make sure we understand where the you know power of this relationship belongs here. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I'm not asking questions. I want answers. <laughs> yeah. So we all know where I'm going if heaven and hell and all that stuff exists. There's no way in hell I'm making this book yet. <laughs> no, everybody gets it. Yeah. yeah, well, except for those annoying people who are going to ask too many damn questions. <laughs> can't shut up because I can't help myself. Oh, they're waiting for you. Yeah. They're waiting for me, all right. <laughs> Got a nice warm bed for me. That's what they've got. <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway. Oh, man, this is going to be a bouncy show today. I'm going to tell you what. Hang on to your pants. <laughs> We're going to be all over. This is going all over the place. It's going to be a bipolar show is what it's going to be. <laughs> That's what. Oh, man. So, but do you actually get over the stigma of, or do you deal with the stigma? Do you get stronger against it? or what's I, the... I, I get, I've gotten stronger against it. Um, I pick and choose who I talk to about it, though, much more than I used to. I used to be very open. There's a lot of people who... Uh, have problems with it. Yeah. And um that could run that ran into some misunderstandings and that just just a big mess. 
So I try to avoid those. But um, I've come to accept it on uh, most days. Some days I don't. Some days I'm, you know, I don't have a good day and I'm all doing a why me day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I took wrong title. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we're all human. But is it different now than it was back when you kind of started on this? Oh my gosh, yes. In terms of society, dealing with it, accepting it, and all that? Society has changed, yes. So society, bipolar is now the norm. It wasn't a, you know, we're, we're understood that we can be functioning members of society. We're not treated with kid gloves, you know, like they used to be really afraid, oh, you're going to, you're going to, go manic on them at any minute. Well, it's because people being afraid. Well, I think part of that is the stereotypes. And I don't want to blame the media. You know, it's an easy thing. Start Um, crying. Everybody only talks about the extremes of bipolar because that's what's noticeable. People don't notice the fact that most people are bipolar, but they're still more or less between the ditches. You know, you know, Yes. They, go, they might go swing from one side of the road to the other. Maybe they're even driving on the wrong side of the road on occasion. But they don't actually crash into the ditches. It's only when they crash into the ditches that most people are willing to see them and talk about them and have the discussion. And so that distorts the conversation. Because right. you're only talking about the extremes. You're not talking about where most bipolar people live right. on a day-to-day basis. You're talking about when when their support structures completely break down or at their worst moments or the worst of the cases, the most extreme cases. And so that's where the popular culture gets its stereotypes from. And so it takes a long time to break out of that, which is why I'm so free when I talk about anxiety disorder. It's, it's my way to help. Because it is. We're talking about 19% of us have some some type of anxiety disorder, but you wouldn't know it. No. I mean, if you're not someone who thinks about these things, you wouldn't know it. And so, you know, you have to be a voice for those. If you've... You don't have to. I don't want to actually... There are times when you feel that you're, you have to be a voice when you've been given, you know, opportunities... Yeah, certain circumstances, I'll voice. Circumstances. And, you know, you're able. I can have a conversation. I'm a, As I've been told, I'm a storyteller. And so if you're a storyteller and you have stories to tell and you have the ability to tell them, you know, maybe you're obligated. Maybe we reach a 20-year-old person who doesn't understand what they're dealing with and then it sets a light bulb off, sends them on a track to self-discovery, and you're able to help them come to terms with themselves a decade before they otherwise would have. You saved a decade of someone's person's life. You know? Yeah. Maybe. You know, who knows? Hopefully. It's, you try to put, that's why we try to stay as positive as possible, because we want to make sure we make as positive impact as we can. Yes. Well, sometimes we 
get off on little tangents. Well, but you know, even those tangents aren't negative. We try to stay away from being negative. We put, put a positive spin on them at the end. Yeah. We, we do try, because we try to keep everything as positive. Now, life is <laughs> negative. Like you said, life is negative enough, which is why we try to put a positive spin on it. Just why we're here, which is why we try to put out at love. And even the difficult topics we try to discuss with love. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, we done with this one. We want to move on. Myths and facts about bipolar. It all kind of rolls into one. Each each uh, of these articles, when they describe their journey, it's so it's it's so uh, individual. Yeah. It's so. Uh, um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Unique to their that person. Okay, well, we'll go through these. So, bipolar disorder is a new phenomenon. Myth and facts. Yeah, which we talk is clearly a myth because anybody who reads family histories, you can see them. You can read, you can see mental disorders in any written family history. The uncle in the attic, you know, or whatever. The, the aunt who lived in the basement, whether it's um, autism or bipolar disorder or anxiety disorder, depression. Abraham Lincoln was a known depressive. His wife was probably bipolar at least. Yeah, well, she was mercurial. Yeah, so we just they just didn't have all these clinical definitions for them in the past, like we do now. But they existed, and it's it's impossible to know because most people didn't live around other people, and so it's hard to know how much of a phenomenon it actually was. We're far better at realizing it and diagnosing it on smaller and smaller scales. People who are moderately bipolar would have been passed over 10 years ago yes. and, and now they're they're caught or they're, they're more likely to, to, to get diagnosed properly there are many types of bipolar disorder this is true and then she gives four categories bipolar one manic and depressive episodes within the 24 hour time frame those are exhausting oh my god So it's more depressive, but you still balance. Cyclothemia. Rotational periods, depressive. Hip, hypomaniac symptoms. Hypomaniac. Hypomaniac, yeah. I didn't, put, I didn't put my glasses on, but I lost them. Uh-oh. Well, I didn't mean no, I lose them. I just threw this not to reach. Um, <laughs> and then unspecified bipolar disorder. Yeah, that would, man, see, it's just, it's the same base problem, but it manif manifests itself uniquely based upon other nature, nurture situations. Yeah. Myth, women outnumber men in bipolar to diagnosis? That simply isn't true. It's how they, yeah, it's how they experience it. 
Yes. And there's this thing. Women seek help for these type of things on a more regular basis. Frequent basis. So uh, it's just they're more likely to go and talk to their doctor about it or to talk to them, be talking to their friends about it. And they say, you know, maybe you should go get it checked out. So two million people have the bipolar. We've talked about that. Two million, yep. Yep. Now mood swings and bipolar disorder are not the same thing. <laughs> We've got that. This is true. Bipolar disorder isn't good or bad. This it's just yeah, it's just the way you are. Labeling these things good or bad is the stigma that we need to fight. Bipolar people have two extreme moods. That's a myth. We run the gamut. That's why it's so exhausting. Yeah. It's not necessarily extreme moods. It's it's extreme mental states, if you want to call it. It's not The mood is just one way it manifests itself. It's the mental state that is actually what... Eating well and exercising is good for bipolar. Eating well and exercising is good for everything. Um, except for your knees. Uh, and we're having internet problems over here tonight. All right, hopefully these things stick together. Uh, there's more than one type of bipolar medication. Yes, there are. There's many bipolar medications. Yeah, and those are journeys, seeking them out. It takes about a year to find the right med. Yeah, there are journeys seeking those out, and it's, and it's not fun. It's not a fun time. Changing meds is one of the worst and kind of a dangerous period of time. Changing meds. You've it's always, not my favorite thing. You've mm. always been very sensitive when I've. Well, it's because if it's hard for meds. me, <laughs> hello, if it's hard for me, you're the one actually going to having to live through it. I'm just having to watch it and, you know, and kind of cope with it. You're the one having to live through it. It's changed it. I just changing meds is awful. It just is. Well, I mean, it, at the end of it, you hope you hopefully you're better off, but it's not a guarantee. And, right, right, right. And and then you got to try it again. And, ah, it's just awful getting the dosages right, and and it's just it's an awful thing because you have to wean yourself off, then get yourself back on. And then you got that period of time where you're in you know you're uh, in limbo. Yeah. So. It's just, it's, it's, it's a dangerous time. Seeking therapy is useless. Of course, that's a myth. Your therapy is helping you cope with your mental state is uh, never useless. Ever. 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 <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many times we can say that. It's ever useless. Okay, so we got another article. Accepting the mental illness is a journey, not a quest. Except I think we've already we've kind of covered that philosophically. Yes, but this is this person's journey. That's this person's journey. It's and, worth a and, read. And, and, and yes, it is. And they're more solution focused. Where I got from it, they're more a solution focused type of person, and it really hit hit them hard that this. Mental illness is not something you're just going to fix. You're going to get 
and you're done. A type A personality popped into a mental, uh, kind of a squishy mental illness thing is not going to have a good adjustment period. They're going to have to go back and talk that thing about therapy is good for everything. That's why. <laughs> it's because some of these things conflict with your nature and you have to become comfortable with it. You know, like by, if you're a type A personality and you fix right. it and you're driven and there's always solutions and you get this, you know, yeah, there's maybe a solution, kind of, sort of, for, but it's going to take a year to get there. And, and, and then you and may over, not be there. And over time, it's going to change. <laughs> and as your body chemistry changes, you're going to have to change. Yeah, and it's a nonstop. It's a process. Yeah, and I can get it. If you're a fixer in a type A type thing, uh, yeah, you're going to have a hard time. My camera's being weird tonight. All right. So let's go on to this next one. The two types of fatigue. Oh. Well, because I just don't think that we had it. We kind of we'd just be repeating ourselves if we covered that one. Okay. And how they affect your motivation. Did you get to attach to this one? Yeah, I got to look at this one. She's talking about recoverable fatigue, and we kind of break it down. Uh, in a gross simplification versus unrecoverable fatigue means. And it doesn't mean that you can unrecover before you fatigue. What she means is that you have to like go to bed for eight hours or go on a vacation or take a few days off. She doesn't mean it's technically unrecoverable. It just means that you need a long recovery period when she says unrecoverable versus, ah, I'm tired, but I can push through it get a red bull, change my mental state and kind of deal with it that way. Right. Versus a short 10 minute break, you know, and then keep going. Yes. People who took breaks, who took breaks and broke down their projects into manageable pieces were able to, able to go the distance. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's, and that's one of her things is if you have a big project is to break it down so you don't get the big, huge fatigue, which is something I do poorly, by the way. I should listen to, yeah, I, I have a tendency to see the whole big project and not the little bits inside. And so I could just do the little things and eventually, you know, your puzzle's built. Yeah, I have a hard time doing that. I'm, I'm not good with puzzles, the big. 500 piece puzzles. That's essentially kind of the, the thing is you just pick your thing and you just kind of plot along. I'm not a plotter like that. Well, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to everything. <laughs> but I think the point is to understand what your fatigue is. What kind you are, and to maybe if you're one of those kind that are what do they call unrecoverable you know maybe yeah, if maybe think about changing your habits a little bit changing your habits a bit to well one get get it recovered you know take your day off spend a day in bed whatever you kind of have to take to get to to kind of adjust that but then figure out okay how do i not get there yeah and again 
I'm throwing rocks here at glass glass houses and rocks. The whole thing is because I it's terrible at this. I do this all the time. Uh, the, you know, I talk about never learning from my past mistakes. You're you're staring it right at the face of something that I freaking do all the time. And so I feel, uh, how am I supposed to be giving people advice? Well, don't do it because it sucks. I but you do it all the time. Yeah, I know it's stupid, but. <laughs> Trust me, don't do it. <laughs> but you do it all the time. Yeah, I know I'm old and I've had built habits. Try not to. It's just, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I'm a bit of a hypocrite on this one. <laughs> I just am. And so it's. <sighs> are we out of half time? We're just about at half. Uh, we are going to go ahead and take a half. Of couple minutes early. Well, a minute and a half. A minute early. Um, and we'll get a message from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Okay, we are back. And let's see, we want to do take care of some of our business here. You can send Lovey a dear Lovey letter at love at late night love Dot us and we'd love to hear from you and answer your questions here on the air. Yes. Um, you can find us at latenightlove.locals.com. You can find us over at MeWe. You can find us on Minds. You can find me. Ooh, got the hiccups. You can find me on Twitter at Jazzrack. And we would love it if you would like, comment, subscribe, all that various stuff that everybody kind of is kind of required to do on these things like comment i'm not going to say smash that like button but you know if you used it on occasion it'd be nice we, we would appreciate it i hate it if anytime anybody on these videos say smash that like button or subscribe i have the nest no it's, it's the way that there's this one guy who does, you're a contrarian. There's one guy who does the reverse psychology. He says, don't hit that subscribe button. <laughs> don't hit it. I think the thing is they just want to say the word subscribe as many times as possible and hoping the fact that, that you will eventually subscribe to the channel. You know how that works? Yeah. I hate marketing class. Anyway. <laughs> I've been to marketing school. I don't like it. And you can find the podcast at Anchor FM slash Late Night Love or your favorite podcast distribution service. <sighs> okay. I did. I applied for a job at a, at a as a DJ at a rock radio station. Yes. Yeah. I'm probably not the best thing for rock. I probably don't have the thing for rock maybe late night if i did late night on a rock radio station maybe that would work but i don't think i'm hyper enough for a rock radio station play the oldies or something jazz 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 <laughs> are there jazz radio stations anymore we have to move to new york or someplace <laughs> i don't have to move you can do radio stations from your home now you don't even have to move to do tv to do radio shows anyway all right so what do we got we have questions. We have questions. And I have, well, sometimes have answers. Okay, shall we begin? Yep. Okay. 
how, first one, how long does grief last? It lasts sometimes forever, depending upon the exact grief you're talking about. I mean, I still grieve for my dog that died 15 years ago or whatever it was. I mean, it's not a huge major grief, but it's still there. I still feel it. So it doesn't go away. I miss my mother every day. It's been 17 years. It doesn't go away. What it does, it, it becomes part of the larger tapestry. It just becomes part of who you are. Yes. And, you know, as you weave it into you, as it becomes woven into you, you know, it becomes less harmful. And maybe that's not even the right word. I'm struggling for the actual right word. It becomes less, because I don't, because it doesn't become less impactful because it left, it left a string in you for throughout all of time. So to say it's less impactful is wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong. And so it's trying to. It doesn't have as much of a sting. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt as much. It, it still hurts, but it's... It changes. Yeah. Just maybe there's a word for it. Maybe that's why we call it grief. Yeah. Because there's no other word for it. Because there's nothing, nothing else that I can think that fits. But over time, it's... I don't want to say it's impact lessened, but the farther you get from the event, the smaller the waves are supposedly yeah, 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 there's no yeah, good analogy yeah. it's just it, it doesn't go away I mean, it really doesn't it becomes part of you yeah mm -hmm. and you know like anything else you learn to cope and if the more you love the bigger uh, a thread of it's going to leave. And that's, you know, that's the dangerous side of love. It is hurt. And the more you love, the more you can be hurt. But what are you going to do? Go through life without love? You're going to miss out on all that? Because you're afraid of being hurt? I think it's worth it. I'm glad I'm glad you took a chance with me, my honey. Yeah, but I'm the one who keeps walking into the hospital. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're starts the next one. I'm a step parent to two children. I pay all the bills and support everyone financially. My significant the children's fathers. Are telling them I'm unimportant, my opinion doesn't matter, etc. How do I handle this? You don't. You just keep doing what you're doing. There's nothing to handle. You can't deal. You, how you behave will say far more than anything you can say. You don't need to say anything. Just be the good human being that you are, and that's all that you need to do. It's not a battle you can win, so don't. That's how you win. Yeah, just don't play. Yeah, there are, what, what's happening at a psychological level, probably subconsciously, 
is they think they see that you're being a better parent, better family to them than they are. And so rather than make themselves be better human beings and better families and better, they try to tear you down in the eyes of the children. But you're the adult. You're supposed to rise above it. You're supposed to be the example. Be the example. You don't have to think that the future will prove you right. You don't have to prove it now. The future sure will prove you right. You don't have to prove it now. Be the person that you already are. Just keep doing it. There's nothing to do. You know the right thing to do. You're already doing the right thing. Just Those kids will know. Kids are far smarter than we They'll see through all the BS. They'll see who's there for them and who's not. We'll see who's has empty words and who has, you know. Who comes through every time. Yeah. We'll find out who's talking, who's action. And when they hit, you know, 18, 21, you know, that relationship will build itself. You don't just keep doing the right thing. I understand the temptation. It's a human temptation because no one likes it. It's essentially being slandered and no one likes it. No one likes that. No. No. So it's, it's, but you know what? There's nothing to do. If they ask you about it, you say, you know, they, what they think, you know, you have just, you know, you don't want to say brush it off, but don't let those kids see it impact you. Because that's the worst thing. Just, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. That kind of thing. You don't want to set up the, don't set up the battle. Don't engage in the battlefield. No. Don't engage. It serves no purpose. Okay. How do I get my 19-year-old daughter who lives with you to understand that just because I used disgraceful tone at her does not give her the right to use a rude tone at me? Um, well, uh, you're in an adult-child relationship now. The game, the rules have changed. I don't even care if you're friend. in an adult-child relationship. You use a disrespectful tone to another person, whether they're a child or not. And you don't expect a rude tone back? What planet do you live on? <laughs> <laughs> you set, you're setting the, the tone of the relationship. You've already said that that kind of behavior is acceptable. Because you're engaging in it. Your daughter is behaving exactly like you. You want to change this behavior? Start by looking in the mirror. You can't go, I get to be disrespectful, but you can't. That's wrong even if they're a child. You're the adult. You're the one who's supposed to be above this kind of petty behavior. Exactly. (laughs) Who raised you people? (laughs) You know, the golden rule? Did, did anybody ever teach you the golden rule? Did, do unto others 
<laughs> you reap what you sow. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a hundred of them. <laughs> Every culture has it. <laughs> you get what you pay for. It's all the same thing. <laughs> Whew. It doesn't cost anything to be nice. No, but it's this expectation that I get to be disrespectful, but you can't be rude back. Because why? Because I, because that's the child? Because you're my child and you're living in my house? That, that's, that's a bad attitude. It sounds like someone needs an attitude adjustment. Yeah, and maybe both of them need an attitude adjustment. You know, we don't know the history that they've gone through. But my guess is, you know, the apple is not falling far from the tree. We, there we go. There's another one. <laughs> how many, we can start keeping track. How many of these, how many cliches I can use in answering these questions? <laughs> but yeah, I can come up with. A couple gonna be a weird show, and our internet's being all weird. We're popping in and out. All right, so this is the next one. This uh, next one's hard. My six-year-old niece does not allow me to study. She turns off my computer so I cannot do my college work and starts crying and throwing objects at me. Should I yell at her? No, don't yell. But. This has to be addressed. Yeah, well, what she's doing is she's seeking attention. She's not getting it elsewhere, so she's been getting it from the safe place, and she'd rather have negative attention than none. But at six, you can actually reach an age where you can negotiate with her a little bit. Hey, look, we'll go play that video game, or we'll go run around the house, play tag, whatever it is she wants to do. After I'm Spending that some time doing some homework. Because what she wants is attention. And she wants yours. Because you're her, you know, there's a connection to her. You know, you're living in the same house, in the same area. You know, everybody wants to play with, you know, the aunts and uncles. And yes. And so she just wants your attention. And maybe she's attention-starved. You know, maybe she's not getting enough attention elsewhere. And so she's turning to you for attention. Oh, hoping for some positive attention, but she'll take negative. So give her some positive attention. Give her some direction. You know, if you're not getting it anyway, so giving, if giving her a little bit of attention will get her out of your hair, then it'll be much more productive. Look at it that way. Yes. But since you're already not yelling at her, you love her and you care about her, so give her a little bit of attention. It'll go a long way. Yes. Yeah. Because the thing is, they don't know how to tell them tell you that's what they're looking for. And so they go back on history. What has gotten me attention in the past? Well, throwing a fit gets them attention when they're toddlers. So when you're six, you know, after life, throwing a fit got their attention. So we're going to keep doing it until it stops working. Or until it's replaced with something else. So replace it with something else. 
Okay. What we got next? My 16-year-old daughter has recently started collecting Barbies. My husband thinks it's ridiculous, and it causes our six-year-old to be jealous. Should we ask her to stop buying them? Well, if she's buying them with her own money, it's none of your business. Um, whether it's ridiculous or not, it's not actually relevant. Lots of people collect lots of things. My mother collected barf bags from airplanes. Said, yeah. Yeah. Hung them up in her office. Said barf bags from around the world. All kinds of airlines. Yeah. It's, it's just a thing. Yeah. It, people collect all kinds of weird things. And so if she wants to collect Barbies, why collect Barbies? It's not a big deal. And so is it ridiculous? You may not think it's a ridiculous way to spend her money, but, you know, she could be spending on booze and drugs. So, you know, <laughs> be happy with what you got. <laughs> and in terms of your six-year-old getting upset, well, your six-year-old's going to have to learn that this is the way life is sometimes. You know, you don't always get what you want. She's going to have to learn. And this is called a learning experience. Life is a call-day learning experience. And yeah, you don't always get what you want. And no, we're not going to make other people change their lives around your being upset. How in the hell? Your six-year-old is going to have a little cow, so you're going to make your other daughter completely change to what her hobbies? Why? So you're going to harm one so, you, so the other one doesn't have to learn a life lesson yet? But they're going to have to learn at some point. And the earlier you start teaching them it, the better off they're going to be. <laughs> I get it. it. It's In the short term, it, it seems easier. But trust me, <laughs> it's not. The, it's the wrong way to go about it. Save yourself a half, big, big, big hassle later on. Teach that six-year-old that, how to... That's setting up a dynamic. Well, it's setting up two dynamics. One, it's setting up a dynamic for your older child to sacrifice herself for the good of others, which sounds nice until you realize the part that they're sacrificing themselves for the good of others. You know, and unless you're Mother Teresa or something, that doesn't always work well. You get stomped on, used, abused in life if you don't know what you're doing. And then you're not teaching the six-year-old a, a good lesson to moderate their expectations, wants, needs, desires, and then quite frankly that it's good to want things because it builds character when you don't get it. Most of us don't get almost anything that we want. We're lucky if we get the big things. And uh, you can't teach a six-year-old that, but you can teach them, no, we're not changing, telling your older sister to change her life around because you get mad. <laughs> That's unreasonable, uncivilized behavior. Knock it off. And you can teach them that. All right. So what next? How do I explain to my nine-year-old, this just breaks my heart, 
How do I explain to my nine-year-old that her dad and I are leaving her behind with my childless, childless younger sister so that we can work on Bora Bora in a way that she'll understand since she has developmental delays. We will come back for her someday. But when she's nine, whether she has developmental delays or not, she's never going to understand. She's just not. Yeah, there's no way to explain to a child that you're going to abandon them. And quite frankly, I'm not sure you can explain to me in a way that you could. I'm going to understand. A once-in-a-lifetime job opportunity to go to Bora Bora and do some some kind of work versus leaving my nine-year-old child with my younger sister. Well, if my child can't come with me, then I'm not going. I mean, how much money are you actually, are you, is this generational wealth you have an opportunity to make or something and it's actually worth a sacrifice? You know, you can actually understand that some of those people who go out and work on oil rigs and they go work off, you know, and they're gone from their house, from their families for six months. But they come home with a check for $300,000. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's, there's, there is a, a benefit to that. There's something to be weighed, but I can't personally imagine, especially if they're developmentally disabled. But you know, delayed. Delayed. Yes. And then you expect what you what they're looking for is some something. How can I assuage my guilt? Yes. That's what I read in that sentence. And you're not going to. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and judge whether someone should or shouldn't do it. I can't wrap my head around what the job opportunity could possibly be. Now, I don't know. Maybe you're an archaeologist and got to go, and, and it's not safe to bring a nine-year-old into the jungle, except I know people who've done it. Well, I don't personally know them, but I know of people who've done it. It can be done. Be done safely. It's actually, and those kids actually find the great adventures. Kids love that kind of stuff. You get to actually go get highly educational things. Well, yeah. So I don't know. How can you do it? Tell her the truth, and she's not going to understand. Because she's a child. She can't wrap her head around you putting her, your job in front of her. Your job and your careers in, in front of them. Yes. Yeah. They can't do it. Well, because they can't comprehend what a career is and a, a fulfillment of a job. Even if your job, if you have a really fulfilling job and you're chasing your dreams, they don't understand what that means. But, you know, you're going to have to be the one to sleep with it. She'll adjust. Children are very adaptable. But, I don't know. Seems a bit cold. Okay, what's next? Why do teenagers feel that they can't tell their parents most things? In short, fear of rejection. 
That's the easy answer. It's fear of rejection. Fear of being rejected by the one group of people you can't afford to reject you. Now, because you're a teenager with brains, you do all kinds of other dumb things that parents could theoretically reject them over and doesn't stop them, but, you know, it's the teenager brain. They're, 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 you know, the cognitive things. You haven't thought, you can't think through all these things all the way. They're acting essentially on impulses, on yes. emotions. Yes. Yeah. But they're, you know, and they can't even express it that way. They wouldn't even express it that way. Oh, my parents will kill me. Well, no, they're not. They're not going to kill you. But the fear is real. Yeah. It's the fear of being rejected. And so what happens if your parents reject you? Well, for most of your life, you'll die. For, for most of history, yes. Yeah. And so that fear is real. It's ingrained in us. It's not... Not even, I know people who have had uh, children who want, who've come out to them, had a real difficult time coming out to them and going, well, why would they have trouble coming out to us if we've got them up? It's just because it's not about you. It's about fear of rejection. And it doesn't matter how, how much, you know, your, your things, it, it's, it's not rational. That kind of fear is not always rational. It's they hear about it. And so they're afraid of it. It doesn't even matter how, how often it has to happen. If it happened one time in the city on the other side of the state, that's enough in the teenager's brain to counteract the, you know, the whole way you've raised them. Because it's not about you. You know, it's that teenage need to be accepted mixed with a fear of rejection. And they're afraid to tell you if their socks are dirty. That, and they're teenagers, and they think they know everything, and then they, it's hard to admit when they're wrong, and they don't. And they, all that other perfectly normal human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> they're teenagers. That's, that's it, you know. It's the fear of rejection, but ultimately it's their teenagers. They haven't learned how to properly do all this stuff yet. They're practicing. Give them time. Help them through it. All right. Last one. Last one. What do I do? My husband has been really upset with me and distancing himself from me because I tried to make his 15-year-old daughter call me mom. He said, I don't like her mother but she is uh, but she has a mom please respect that he said it's her choice we don't i only put this on because we had the same thing about two weeks ago uh, on the uh the other way where there was a guy saying he wanted to call him dad yes uh, but she said she just mentioned this once well it seems like she mentioned it more than once she seems a little more hurt It seems like she only mentioned this. No, once. I tried to make his 15 year old daughter call me mom. Tried to make. Tried to make. Oh, shoot. Stop trying to make. Okay, I'm going to give you a big. Here's a tip to any step parent ever in, in, in existence stop trying to make them call you something other than your name. 
If they do, it's if they call you mom, dad, or, or, or honorific, it's an honor. Treat it as such. You got to earn that. And they may never call you. And it's okay. You want to fill the role, not the title. And you want to fill your role because your role is not going to be the same as a biological parent. It's just not. And if you think that it is, you're going to have a difficult time. You and that child have to build your own relationship. And it will evolve and it will develop slowly over time. But again, we've had this You are the freaking adult. You shouldn't be putting unreasonable expectations on this child. You're making this, you're making the child try to make a decision between their mother and you. It's going to feel like they're, you know, betraying, betraying their, their mother. And you're putting your, your husband in an impossible situation. Making him choose between you and his daughter. Yeah. And you yeah. think you're going to win on that? Ultimately? Why would you put him in that position? Vanity. You wanted to be called mom is vanity. It's pure, unadulterated vanity. But you want to be as loved. It doesn't matter what you what they call you. Whether they call you mom or Janice or or, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is that, you know, you build that relationship of love, honor, and respect. And you've already breached it. You know, you're going to have to go and apologize. Tell them you were only thinking of yourself. You weren't being considerate of other people's feelings. And then let it go at that. Don't expect anything in return. Don't expect the conversation to go anyway. In fact, that, that should end the conversation right there. That should end the conversation. It should be the last of it. You know, if they have something they want to say, then it's fine. But you shouldn't expect it. Nope. You're just going there and you're telling them, look, I screwed up. I'm sorry. And I was thinking of myself. I'll be, be I'll try to be better. And go. Let it sit. Because, you know. Hopefully you can get the, keep dropping in and out. Hopefully you can have that conversation with your husband. You guys have had a relationship where you can actually have a real conversation, and you can sit there and give the deeper explanation, the deeper feeling of, okay, why the hell do I have this need? You, know, you may want to hop on one of those therapy apps and talk to one of those therapists on why you have one of these needs. Have this need. To be called mom. To be called mom. Where that comes from.
because it's not really reasonable. I understand why you, I understand the emotion behind wanting it, but it's not reasonable. No, everybody understands it. Who doesn't want to be called mom by a stepchild? Yeah. But that role is earned. That is just all. Yeah, but that role is earned. That, yeah, but that's the icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. And that's earned. It's it's the relationship, the the preciousness of the relationship that's the meat of the desire. Yeah, that's after you've already succeeded in building a relationship. Yeah, that's the end. Yeah. Well, not the end, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's when you've gotten to the... Anyway. And quite frankly, if you can just fill that role, the parental figure role, I think you've accomplished a lot, you know? Having someone grant you the honor to fill that role in their life is a big honor. Because they don't have to. All right. And that is the end of us. For me and Lovey, we want to thank you for joining us. We'll uh, see you next week at 10 p.m. here. And we should be starting, if Lovey gets on her horse this week, we should be doing our back to our daily doses next week. And as you can catch them, we've got some in the back. And and I have some uh, backlog that I've been getting out into videos. So you can catch them that way over on the Facebook page. So we will see you guys um, next week. Me and Lovey, please remember to love everybody. Good night.